having leftover stuffing and eggs for breakfast. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Today I'm excited to announce my new startup. It's like Uber, but for servers. No need to run your own server when you can just rent mine. I think that's called something already. Uh, today on the show, we're talking with Jeremy Bowers, Director of Engineering at the Washington Post. Thank you for joining us today, Jeremy. Thanks, hey, Jeremy. it's really great to be here. And as we always do, uh, let's just dive right into it. Please tell us about your path to leadership or management or where you are now and start anywhere you like. Sure. Um, you know, engineering at a newspaper is a, is a pretty funny thing because we're generally fairly conservative organizations, especially when it comes to technology. I mean, we slice trees really thinly and deliver them to people every morning. So you can see that this is already going to be a problem. Um, so I got into technology because I flunked the LSAT and needed something to do with my life. Uh, and in a crisis of confidence, I took a job working tech support late at night at the regional newspaper where my wife was a copy editor. Uh, and I was just really wow. bored all the time because nothing really broke. Uh, and I was up at like, you know, midnight and 1 a.m., like waiting for uh, the paper to hit its deadlines. Uh, and so I taught myself Perl in my spare time. I'm still not 100% sure how this happened. I think I was working <laughs> on a blog system on movable type. Uh, and there would be editors who were having problems like posting things. And so uh, the templating system was all in Perl. So I learned that, uh, and then I learned PHP so that I could help with a Drupal problem that people were having. Uh, <laughs> Drupal right. has been the downfall of so many people having to learn PHP. If we had just skipped Drupal and WordPress. Sorry, keep going. We could have been fine, right? Um, been fine. I, I managed to skip the WordPress phenomenon, thank goodness. Uh, but it's not like Drupal was really that much better. Uh, no. Yeah, so like, you know, maybe six months of PHP uh, until I learned Python, which is the first programming language that I really actually loved. Um, and uh, a friend of mine who worked at the paper had come knocking like late, late one night and said, hey, I'm trying to get this Python application that I wrote deployed to a server. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and because my roommate in college had been a big Linux nerd, I had learned just enough Apache and like... Uh, like basically bash to like stay afloat on a server. And so I could SSH in, I realized that he had edited the wrong Apache config and just like cut and pasted his stuff over to the other one uh, and got his, uh, and got the app up and running. And that app ended up uh, winning a Pulitzer that year. It was the, it was called PolitiFact. It was a fact checking application. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> nice. uh, that was, that was like my, like, uh, Hey, I get to be a, a developer journalist now. <laughs> you get to <laughs> save moment. the world wow. via PolitiFact. Yeah, that's, that's great. Right. Uh, Wait, and, and did you end up, I'm sorry, you, you're going to have a million things here and I'm cutting you off really no, early. No, that's okay, let's end, do it. <laughs> did you end up in publishing because you, you're trying to become a lawyer, which is really like a degree in advanced reading comprehension, and since that failed, you're like, well, I'll go join the advanced writing people, or like, what, how... Oh, How are no. these connected? <laughs> oh, if only. It really was. Um, I was bad enough at the advanced reading and writing and, um, you know, uh, logic <laughs> games uh, that I had basically no other choice. And um, I was at the time I was in because I was in college, I was working at Best Buy, like working on physical computers back when people would purchase those and get them repaired. Um, and so I needed something to do because I was going to graduate and I wasn't, I didn't want to work at a Best Buy my whole life. And my wife, because uh, she worked at the paper, not? knew that they had an opening, like working on this tech support. They couldn't get anyone to fill the job because the job worked 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. <laughs> you know, so really, it, 
it really was related to your wife having an yep. in. It wasn't. Yep. It wasn't. You had a, an affinity for the written word, and since nope. you couldn't read it and redline it, you just okay. Nope. I had no uh, no ambition of ever working at a newspaper. Like that, or working <laughs> at a gas station, it. right? Yeah, right. I mean, then you never got out. I the mean, gas station had better hours. Um, yeah, I never got out. I, I basically got the bug. Like after I started, uh, after I learned enough Python to to keep up. Um, you know, I started helping reporters with like, um, you know, basically data analysis. Um, my background is in political science. Uh, that's what my undergraduate degree was in. Mm-hmm. And so it turns out that I took a lot more stats classes than most political yeah. science majors would just by like sheer accident. Um, mm-hmm. And so I could help people with like lightweight data analysis. And the Python was really helpful for like, you know, web scraping and stuff like that. Uh, so that's really how I got started. Um, and then eventually my my team at the uh, at that regional newspaper was going to get shrunk or downsized and so i uh, applied for a job at, at the washington post here in dc in like 2011 mm-hmm. <laughs> or 2010 like a really long time ago um and strangely got a job there i have no idea why they would ever hire me but um mm-hmm. i got a job there as like a newsroom developer and so worked on elections and campaign finance things because of the mm-hmm. political science background uh and then after that, just sort of bounced around from place to place. I went to NPR really briefly and worked on visual things there, which is ironic because it's a uh, radio yeah. company. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I got a really great job at the New York Times because I'd done election results for two different uh, news organizations for both The Post and for NPR. And the New York Times had just happened to have an opening for a programmer who understood election data. And so I got that oh. job. Wow. Uh, and that's basically how that's where management came uh-huh. from. So I was there for two and a half years as like a senior developer and then like an architect. And finally there was a position that was basically like a player coach, you know, so I took that job. Um, and so I managed a team of three uh, and also wrote a bunch of code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then that, that was until this last April. Uh, and um, I got this opportunity to come work at the post and um, I didn't have to travel to New York quite as much. Uh, and I, I would get to be a director, um, which means like a slightly bigger portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get to work on like slightly more things. Um, but now I don't write any code at all. Oh. Uh, thank God. I was going to say, how do you <laughs> feel about am... that? Sounds like you feel pretty great about it. <laughs> I am not a very good. So, okay. So I was probably like a journeyman programmer is what I'm going to, is how I'm going to categorize it. I'm so lucky that my team is like this relatively senior team and they all work in tooling that I don't understand or care to. Uh, It's all node and like tons of tests that I would break and uh, it's wonderful. So it really immediately broke me of the need to try to step in and like, you know, be like super coder. Um, Yeah. You did say would break as though you hadn't tried. (laughs) Oh, no, I would certainly instantly, like, r- ruin our entire test suite. Like, I already looked. There's there's tests on things. I was like, my God, you people are excellent at this. Why do they even let me manage you? <laughs> well, and what's what's it like? The, is, there, is there a stark difference between the engineering organizations at the Washington Post, NPR, and the New York Times? Is, is one clearly light years ahead of the others technically? I don't think so. I think actually all three of those are fairly enlightened. Like if you worked for like a tech company and you came and worked at the Post or at the Times or at NPR, I think you would find them smaller, uh, but 
relatively laid out basically the same as you would expect. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a track for individual contributors and a track for uh, people managers. Um, you know, they're like, we have like architect roles and things like that. All the things that you would expect from a decent, uh, a decent like um, tech organization. So um, do you have a, yeah. I have a question about sort of this is more nerdy about like how software is developed and mm-hmm. for whom. So would you say oh, yeah. your customers are the readers of your paper or are they also the, the, the editors and authors? Do you also support the platform that the news is developed on yes so this is one of the hardest things about my particular team so um i because i'm a director i uh, i have a portfolio my portfolio right now is in uh, newsroom engineering so this is all the projects where um it's basically newsroom created projects that are too big for the newsroom they're they're the programmers that they already have to handle so for example like the newsroom has a graphics desk which is a a fleet of programmers who understand like data visualization and they write a lot of javascript and d3 Mm -hmm. Um, they have an investigations unit that has uh several r and python programmers that do like you know data analysis and stuff Um, but there are those occasional projects that rise to a level that are just too big or too cumbersome or um need to be like uh rigorous. Uh, and for that, like basically my team gets the call. And so elections is like the perfect example of this because it's really big and complicated. Uh, it's so journalistically laden, right? Because we're writing models to do expected vote prediction. We're, um, you know, we have to make race calls and other things like this. We have to ingest this data. And if we're wrong, even for an instant on the web, we have to issue a correction. So there's a lot of journalistic stuff baked in, but then there's all this engineering problems too, right? It's always the highest traffic night. We have to update every five seconds with new data. Um, you know, we have to, it has to work on like the world's worst cell phones, uh, because like our readers have like, you know, old Android devices and the phone, the page has to be really fast on those. Um, and so it's like a really great series of engineering challenges on top of all the fun, uh, journalism mm-hmm. challenges. Does it run inside of IE6? Uh, it, it doesn't, <laughs> but it's so close. You said, you said the most interesting engineering challenges and I just, handle. that was immediately. <laughs> Easily the most interesting engineering challenge so it would be to get into running an ISIC. We have to actually joked about having a gopher version of the site, which I think would be like the best oh, if we yes. could have it off, you know. Absolutely. Right. I mean, well, so like, you went. You went. To, so you, you were originally um, an individual contributor for quite a long time, quite a long part of your career. Yes. Had you uh, yes. had you always intended to become a leader of people, or did that just sort of like, oh, this is a thing that happened as part of this job I got? No, it was a total accident. As a matter of fact, I was the uh, not interested in being a manager uh, archetype. That is mm-hmm. like, I would like to just be an individual contributor until I die. I plan on being a, uh, you know, a, a systems architect or some such. Um, and then I ended up uh, getting the opportunity to manage a really small team of like relatively senior people at the New York Times. Um, and you know, I just enjoyed that so thoroughly much. I was like, wow, maybe I was what wrong. What did you like about it? You know, like maybe I. Um, oh God. Um, a, I really, really enjoyed the people parts, like way more than I huh, thought. That's awesome. Um, like working with people on like, uh, like helping them, like 
the, the biggest things I can think of is uh, whenever we, we have an engineering team that like works in a newsroom, the biggest problem that we have is uh, essentially PR, right? The newsrooms are, are, are used to engineering teams that are like indifferent to them or perhaps even hostile. You know, over years, uh, they develop this relationship and, you know, the newsroom people don't forget this. They, they hold on to it. So in a way, it's like working at like any legacy organization mm-hmm. that way. Um, uh, and so the thing that I really enjoyed was like essentially like getting to help people go on a charm offensive to go <laughs> convince like reporters and editors to like work with us and like tell us about their problems so we can so fix do them. You, can you think of an um, example? It's harder than it sounds. I, I'd love to Yeah, hear absolutely. About that. Oh yeah. Um, the biggest, I'll, I'll say when I worked at the New York times, um, one of the biggest problems that an engineering team like this will have is working with campaign finance data. So campaign finance is usually the largest data set that a newsroom will tend to work with unless they're also working with voter file data. Um, Campaign finance is a single transaction for every person who gives money to a candidate at any point. Um, And because of uh, act blue and win red that these two, um, uh, payment processors that the Democrats and the Republicans use, uh, even small money donations. Like if you contribute a dollar to Bernie Sanders, it shows up uh, on a quarterly report mm-hmm. somewhere. So, hmm. you know, all these millions, uh, even almost a billion dollars, I think, was given in 2016. I suspect we'll we'll beat that in 2020. Yeah. Um, every single one of those is a single line item with a person's name and address and the, the a donation amount, the name of the candidate, the candidate's uh, 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 the PAC or the committee that they gave the money to all this comes in this gigantic csv file from the federal election commission uh and so we're having to like you can't report on this without software you just can't there's no anecdotal way you can't open it in excel you know it's 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 a million rows or more um and so um it's the it's the really the first time that we as engineering team had an opportunity to kind of sneak in and talk to reporters who were desperate for help right because they are just like all we're reliant on the campaigns to tell us about what they think about their haul and we can't actually do Mm -hmm. the analysis so my predecessors at the time at the new york times had built software to do this but the software was not really built for the reporters it was built like for the developers who then would talk to the reporters and the reporters who wanted no part in using it and so um, you know, I, uh, a coworker of mine, uh, named Rachel Shorey, who works at the time still, I miss her. Hi, Rachel. Um, uh, you know, uh, built this, uh, gigantic campaign finance app that essentially let us, uh, like do like, uh, sums and, uh, easy, like who's in the top 10, who's the, you know, who, where are these areas that are giving the most money to which candidate, uh, little, little wrap ups like that, because we read a bunch of campaign finance stories and saw that the same kind of anecdotes that reporters would use over and over again. And so we could go to them with the software and say, Hey, look, we built you a Slack channel that lets you know when, uh, you know, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton has filed. We built you, uh, this little thing that like gives you these, uh, easy way to search and tally, uh, you know, donations to a single candidate or a committee. Uh, and, you know, they really love that. They love it when anybody gives them personal attention. <laughs> Were they like <laughs> you know? initially suspicious? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, why are you being nice Oh, yeah, to absolutely. Us? They're like, we can't trust any of this data. We didn't personally go over every single line of it by hand, you know? And so... Mm-hmm. You know, we have to demonstrate like at least a little bit of confidence first yeah. and then slowly but surely we work our way into their good graces. And now Rachel has several A1 bylines at the New nice. York Times and <laughs> is like basically a widely respected campaign finance reporter, even though she has half a PhD in computer <laughs> science and uh, mostly just like writes long chains of Python for uh, examining and parsing campaign finance wow. data. Wow. Yeah, there's I, I mean, 
I, I'm just picturing the team of statisticians that would be necessary <laughs> for that. But the um, I, I want to back up because yeah. you fell into newspapers, you fell into tech, and then you fell into leadership. Yes. As a leader, what's an interesting hole that you're falling into right now? Because it sounds like you tend to succeed in most of these. Oh, man. Oh, I wish. As the funny thing is, when I look at my I look at my leadership stuff and I'm like, I we don't do enough one on ones. We're not recruiting properly. We're not uh, you know, we're not following up on on uh, stuff that we get back from our retrospectives quickly enough. Like basically all I see is like pile after pile. Well, of failure. It ain't an and easy so... job. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard. It's very hard. Um, you know, it I'm... sounds like your early career with programming pile after yeah, pile. Right. Of... I mean, it was PHP, right? When you got started. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, dollar sign. Yeah. Right. Dollar sign PHP. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels really similar too, in that there's a lot of mixing burdens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say um, you know, I think the thing, the thing that I'm like currently obsessed with is basically making sure that we have a good system for not burning out. Like, cause um, you know, uh, a big difference between like a standard tech company and how a newspaper works is a standard tech company. When you decide you'd like to release a new round of your software, it's basically you release when the features are done. You, we're going to put these five features in the next release teams will sprint on those features until they're finished. And then that's when the software release and there are dates, you know, associated with, but to be honest, those dates are synthetic, right? Unless you're trying to hit like, you know, AppleCon or whatever, you know, then really, you know, you, you pick the synthetic date that you can easily push to accommodate like additional development on a feature. Sure. All of our work is entirely deadline driven. We have no, we can't move the date of the election. We can't change a filing deadline. We can't move the Olympics, you know? And so almost all the work that we do is, re- is the reverse. Like the deadline can't be moved. The only thing we can really move is the features, right? And we, so we can cut features to make sure that we're delivering software on time, time. basically. Um, And so this also means it's really high stress, right? Because we have these developers who are like, you know, right right now we're sprinting for Iowa and New Hampshire, which aren't until February, but we're trying to get a bunch of the software done in advance so that we can be working in advance on Super Tuesday and uh, all of the other like big elections that are coming up in the spring. Uh, And I'm trying to figure out ways to like keep my team sane and like make sure that people are like taking comp time and like, you know, like that right now, that's like the overwhelming the overwhelming yeah. thing that I'm working on. It's like, how do, do we like set now. up enough communication <laughs> that like I can hear when people freak out, you know, like what does it look like when you're freaking out? Like it's yeah. good. It's good to know yeah, all these yeah. things. Well, and I want to, I want to know how you're addressing that. But first I want to ask, like, do you do cold like test runs? I mean, I imagine you have to, right? Cause you can't oh, wait yeah. until Iowa, New Hampshire and then be like, Oh, turns out the data came in a different format than we expected. Yep. The first piece of software we build uh, every year is I showed up at the, at the, the post in uh, April, got my team all hired up by June. And by July, the first piece of software we had was a rig that emulates all of the, um, uh, each of the data providers that we have. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so yeah, it acts yeah. just like them. You can you can force it to go down under load. You can make it return 400s or 500s or anything you want. Um, and so that's what we end up building our software against. Um, and so we have awesome. to, we, it put us in a weird position of having to email the Associated Press and ask them if they could send us an example of what it, what their 500 error page looks like, so that we can. <laughs> that's super cool, though. So that we can uh, we can set it up. Yeah. yeah so is there yeah. a whole team that does that stuff? Uh, if only our team oh, does that too. Like... <laughs> there there are eight of us. I think the team is eight right now. 
Uh, and so that was like the first, the first piece of software to build is build the, always build the yeah. replay rig. So then, then how are you addressing the potential burnout thing? I mean, do, do people mostly hang in because they buy into, I mean, I imagine there's some amount of developers there that just really believe in good journalism. And so they want to be a part of building something that delivers quality news or, or is that not the case? Like, how are you keeping no, people motivated and not burned out? It's totally the case. The people that we have, you know, working at the post could be working at Google. They could be working at Capital One, at Facebook. They could do anything they want. Right. Um, uh, but they they're here on purpose because they're they're mission driven largely. You know, they're people who want to like do something that's like difference making. And so, um, the way that I the way that we basically stress test our developers is that we we set up a similar situation to that replay rig that I was talking about. You know, we had um an irrelevant off year election in 2019. Uh, I mean, I say irrelevant, but like you know, Kentucky got a Democratic governor, and the you know Virginia got a Democratic House of Delegates and uh, and Senate State Senate. Um, you know, which were, uh, those were all interesting turns, uh, to what we expected. Um, but you know, we ran, we basically ran ourselves to the bone getting software built for those things. Uh, and one of the reasons yeah. why I see what the team looks like under stress, you know, because, uh, other than those off year elections, we didn't really have a whole lot of, um, like legitimate opportunities for people to feel stress leading into the, uh, into the general. Uh, but the truth is, my team is also largely senior. Um, I think literally everyone is a senior developer, and we have uh, no team lead. <laughs> it's just senior developers. Um, and so I'm a wow. little lucky in that re- respect in that they all have a pretty reasonable amount of self-awareness, and they can, fe- you know, they can feel it coming. That's one of the ways I've been very lucky as a rookie manager is, you know, I got to inherit this. I didn't even inherit. I got to go steal a team of largely uh, senior developers uh, who all relatively knew each other at least a little bit, you know, because they were on different teams, but they all knew who each other were. Um, And so that was a pretty that was a pretty that was lucky. That was a good coup. So have you had, you know, you came into, into, into actual people leadership a little bit, you know, not super long ago. Have you had uh, training provided by your job for doing any of this stuff? Is there, you know, is there a matrix of that kind of stuff you have to do at the Washington post? There is, there is some of this. Um, There is some of this. It's not quite as um, formal or systemic as you'd think. Um, But um, the, when I was at the New York Times, the Times had a, had a lot of this for like brand new managers. And so um, when I like uh, started, when I became the player coach, I got to do a round of management training, which is really great. Um, and in truth, I spent a lot of time like soliciting, uh, like I, I learned really well from books. That's like my, my, my love language is like sitting down and reading a book. I love it. It works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I basically... Uh, after after doing like a little light management training at the Times, when I got this job at the Post, um, I was like, all right, it's time to level this up. And so, you know, I got a couple of books that I really enjoyed and uh, honestly have been pretty formative for me. Um, oh, Camille sure. Fournier, The Manager's Path, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is like the great, the great book on how to do a one-on-one. Um, uh, Will Larson's An Elegant Puzzle uh, is just like a really great book about uh, engineering management, um, about how to like set up your team, uh, how you can scale your team from small to really, really big. Um, there's a lot of t- good tactical stuff in there that I really enjoyed. Uh, and then uh, Danella Meadows' uh, Thinking in Systems was like my favorite this is my favorite book about thinking about big engineering problems and like handling like architecture issues. Have can, you had can, any books that uh, you did uh, that good? I want to ask Rachel. Oh, I want to ask Rachel. <laughs> um, sorry, you can, you can answer Rachel's question first. Pretend it was Kendall's question if you like. Appropriate. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, you might have to restate it, Rachel, because I was talking over you. Uh, was there? Did, have you read any books or come across any books that you wouldn't recommend? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I have a Harvard Business Review subscription. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> very kind of them. Uh, and maybe one out of every 20 articles I feel like really is, is like speaks to me, but I still read them religiously. And then I'm like, wow, this is really for people who are managing a much larger organization or a very different organization. Uh Um, It's just slightly less like, you know, slightly less useful, I would say. Um, And I generally don't enjoy a lot of programming books. Um, One of the reasons I like thinking in systems is that, uh, you know, uh, Dana Meadows was a scientist, not a not a programmer. uh, And she wrote that book. The book was published like after her death. Like uh, it was like a a manuscript that she was like shopping around to friends and family and like uh, co-workers on like how she perceives like giant systems working. And it's just I just think it's like a a fabulous book. And probably the reason it's not intolerable is because it's not about computer programming at all. Yeah. Well, so so back to that initial training you got at the New York Times, or yes. or maybe since then. I mean, is there uh, separate from this leading in systems, maybe maybe something that was formative in your thinking about how you lead? I mean, is there one or two lessons that sort of stick out, or a philosophy that you've latched onto that you can share? Yeah. I mean, because of the like sort of unique deadline problems that we have. Um, like I was explaining earlier, um, there are basically two like aphorisms I'd say that I definitely follow. The first is that we have like a very strict no assholes rule on the team. Um, you know, everybody on the team is there because they're like very high esprit de corps, um, like super kind and communicative. I mean, like we basically spend all the time like baking cookies for each other. It's fantastic. Um, uh, and so that's like, that's the kind of team I want to work for. Basically Hufflepuffs, if you will, um, <laughs> Yay. <laughs> only hire Hufflepuffs, you know? Um, but then if I, if I had to have a second one, it would be like, we are, I err on the side of like over communication and like, you know, we're going to have, I'll have been at this for six months and we'll have done six one-on-ones, which is not too many. Um, but for the, for a, uh, for the post, I think it's more than most. I think most managers do quarterly, um, okay. especially when they have a team that's eight. You know, most teams are like three or four. Um, and so mm-hmm. I like I really like erring on that side of like slightly over communicating and like, um, you know, when we when we find an issue, we immediately like throw together a meeting room. Everybody gets in the room and we figure it out. Um uh, I particularly enjoy that because it means like problems aren't going to fester. And I, I really want to try to catch things as early as I possibly mm-hmm. can. Um I think part of that is like also being a rookie and being afraid of like having some hideous problem I don't know about, like festering under the surface. Have you had mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. come to the surface? But yeah, I think those are the two. I think those are like the two big things. I have definitely worked on teams where there were like, you know, prima donna programmers, you know, where there were like very strong technical minds who were just horrible teammates. Yeah. Um, and I won't name names um, because like it, it, it almost doesn't matter. They're archetypal, right? I mean, yeah, the brilliant uh, asshole. They're good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, and you can see, I, I can see the kind of the appeal from a manager perspective, because this is a person who just closes tickets faster than you can build them. You know, like you are the, you are the limiting factor, not the programmer, which is seductive, right? Like it just, it immediately like gets to your lizard brain and makes you go, yes, I must have it. It's like the general so's chicken of, uh, you know, of programming. Um, you just you can't help yourself. It's fried. It's delicious. It's like what are you gonna do? Of programming. That's that's as a lover of MSG. This this analogy hurts my heart. But, uh, but I understand. Also possibly literally. Also possibly literally. Um, 
but yeah, you know, like I can see how it's seductive to have that person around who like closes tickets like crazy. But I also am just like deeply aware now after having been on teams like that, that the strongest thing to have is like a team where everybody understands all the code that's in the repo because the brilliant asshole goes on vacation or quits the company or some other thing. And then the rest of your team is left like holding oh, the bag yeah. and there's just no reason. And they're to jerks. Have that. They won't answer your question. If you do yeah. have a question, like if you are trying to come up and you there's know. that too. Yeah, I agree. And God forbid that be somebody that your brilliant asshole is one of the people who's on your interview panel when you're trying to interview mm-hmm. new people or uh, treats your interns really poorly. And then, suddenly you can't hire junior employees you know like it's basically like all these effects that are really hard to measure and like one effect that's really easy to measure yeah. and so you get the, the one the positive effect is super easy to measure look at all these closed tickets and all the like negative effects are things that are like really difficult to, to measure and see but clearly they there yeah. yeah you don't know how much of a, pe- yeah. a net benefit it is to have this person around totally mm-hmm. so a little bit along these lines, I mean, is there a leader in your past that you look at and think, you know, I, I really want to lead like they did as an example, or conversely, did you have a leader in your past that, uh, and, and again, you don't, you can, or you don't have to name names, but is there a leader in the past that you're like, everything that I want to do as a leader is in reaction to this person because they were so awful. Uh, <laughs> I have a good, I have a good example. So when I was at the Washington post, the very first time, uh, was in 2011 and 2012, I ended up leaving to go work at this job at NPR, which no one, when I, when I left NPR was a, you know, had fewer page views. It was a smaller digital organization. It was clearly not a not quite the right fit you know because you're like what's a why is this new, uh, news radio company doing all the stuff on the internet with photographs you know and video um yeah. uh but like uh i really wanted to go work with this manager this guy named brian boyer who had uh had a software development career and then had uh, re- uh basically bailed out of software because he thought it was toxic and um got a master's degree in journalism and uh and went to go work at the old chicago tribune uh you know back before it was owned by uh the their current mm-hmm. their current ownership uh uh and like you know it was just like a really like a talismanic figure you know he's, he's big tall guy with a big old beard and uh at the time that i knew him he had a mohawk and uh. wore a leather jacket and he would just like you know he was just like um and he was a, a force for really good stuff at npr you know like he was really aggressive about making sure that we had good conditions for remote work and um you know spent a lot of time thinking about um you know how to like you know how to get like um Uh, an agile structure working in a newsroom, which, you know, was a surprisingly difficult actually (laughs) to implement. Uh, But that was a thing that he thought was really important. And so, um, you know, he spent all this time like getting, you know, newsroom folks to like learn like how product thinking works and how agile development works. And um, I just think that he was just like a really thoughtful, interesting guy. Um, And I just, I feel like I learned an awful lot from him. Uh, and honestly, if I could be a manager like anybody, I want to be a manager mm-hmm. like Brian. Is your is there your you current go. gig mostly remote? Like how how much of your job is remote, to, and how many of your team are? No, it's mostly it's mostly folks who are on the site. Um, the post is actually surprisingly good about this. We have um we have uh we sell our content management system. It's called Arc, uh, and most of the Arc folks are based in Chicago. 
including our CTO who works remotely from Chicago. Uh, we have a big bureau there. And so there's like folks who basically go into the bureau. Uh, but there's also a ton of folks who just work remotely uh, on Arc things. But most of the developers on my team are, you know, physically present, um, largely because of all the interactions we do with the newsroom. Um, newsrooms are still a little conservative technologically, even one at a place like the Post. Uh, and so it can be really hard if you're a remote employee to like get get time scheduled with a reporter or an editor who are really used to like face-to-face conversations. Um, they can be a little distrustful of, you know, the, the human on the other end of the scratchy uh, <laughs> internet connection. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a remote employee on our team right now. He's working from Laramie, Wyoming. God bless you, Eric. Um, <laughs> it's very, it's very cold there right now. Um but, uh, yep. you know, one, that's one of the things that I think uh, if you were asking about, like, if you ever wanted to ask about like challenges, I mean, like one of the challenges I think is like trying to figure out how to make a newspaper company better at remote work. Cause it is a uh, legitimately a thing that we are not super yeah. good at yet. We're working on it. I think that we are better Seems than other like places that be. I've worked, but um, <laughs> a good place is to there, work early. Yeah. yeah. Is there one newspaper yeah. organization that is really good at this or is it just kind of a well-known problem across, uh, media newspaper stuff i feel like it's a pretty i feel like it's a reasonable problem that like a lot of big media companies share largely because they are these big legacy organizations i mean we were updating the json ld the like uh, schema.org stuff for our website earlier this year and uh, we got to put our uh, initial publication date as 1872 which is pretty great um you don't really get to put in that (laughs) you know you don't get to put that date into json very often um (laughs) So it's like a you know the company is comparatively very old and the the the, the paradigm can sometimes be a little conservative and so uh, it's well, the point of very like, local. I mean, it was yes. the Washington Post and yes, right, foreign about Washington, yeah, right. Right. Um, so, you know, that can still be difficult. Um, yeah. But I, I think that ultimately, like the paper is in a better place if we can hire more employees that are remote, because they're going to be better. There are going to be people who have like really great skills at working remotely and uh, who just can't be physically present in Washington, D.C. Uh, and honestly, it, just, it works out better for us. That's like, you know, we get more geographic mm-hmm. redundancy that way. Uh, we get access to different candidates that we normally wouldn't have. Um, and honestly, it means we don't have to have an extra chair in the building where we run out of space frequently, uh, with developers. And so, um, right now we're <laughs> run in out a, of meeting rooms, we're in a peak wave right now. And there are people sitting on top of other people. Like it's not great. Um, uh, hot desking. Not great. Yeah. So one thing that we ask, uh, pretty much everyone on this show is, and it's called authority issues. <laughs> um, what, what is your relationship with authority? How do you feel about having authority over others? And how do you feel about others having authority over you? Oh, this is such a great question. Um, this is my favorite one that <laughs> you set this in advance. It's like, oh my God, what a great question this is. Uh, <laughs> so I am a Gen Xer, right? Um, you know, I listen mm. to Nirvana. I still own flannel shirts. Uh, my general <laughs> feeling about authority is is not particularly high. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's the Do you have a ponytail and are you living in reaction to people telling you <laughs> that's not a boy's haircut? That's, that's the other thing I said. I just roll my eyes. I just roll my <laughs> eyes. Um, you know, uh, I used to, we, my, the team that I worked at at the St. Petersburg Times and we were working on PolitiFact, we used to joke that insubordination for us was a form of sport. 
Um, you know, <laughs> we literally took over an empty office that no one was using and taped the lock open and then just sat in there. And I nearly got fired because we set up, uh, we set up a wireless network because it was in the corner of the building and you didn't get good Wi-Fi over there. So we set up our own wireless network inside the office, uh, and we just worked in there instead of at our desks. Uh, <laughs> no one noticed for eight months. Oh, God. And then you almost got fired. And then we like, almost why? got fired because, uh, because the, the networking team was really upset that we we had uh, put a wireless router in this office and we're like hijacking their, their internet. Uh, I thought it was a pretty reasonable solution to a difficult problem, but <laughs> the difficult problem being all this unused space that somebody, yeah. Can... And uh, the fact that no Wi-Fi damage. worked in there. Yeah. Right. Um, so, exactly. so then do you live your life in reaction as a leader as well? Or do you just try to never tell people what to do or how does that then flip now that you're in a it position? Is, it is really hard. I mean, to be honest, this I feel like is one of the like, one of the like core issues of like Gen X management is like, how do you, uh, so the way I've decided to deal with this is rather than edict, like essentially working really hard to convince and compel people that the idea is a good one and that it's worth doing. Um, mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I was on my college debate team, so I have like a little bit of training on this, but um, <laughs> you know, like, um, like essentially this is the way I've chosen to deal with it because I honestly just don't expect that if you like hand down the commandment from on high, that anybody's going to follow it. Uh, and mm -hmm. like, as a, as a, um, a Gen Xer myself, I am certain that if somebody told me to do something, I would find quickly the way to do the opposite thing. <laughs> so yep. like, so if, have you had to deal with a situation where something came down from on high, you're the, you know, quote middle manager, uh, or, you know, you're, you're the, you're the last line manager before the actual rubber hits the road mm -hmm. and you haven't, you don't understand, or you don't agree with what's being, uh, you know, what's being handed down. What do you do at that point? If you have to convince your team, do you, are you able to go back up? And I'm not talking about specifically your organization you're in now right. or anything, right, right, but right. like, how do you feel about going back and saying, Hey, I, I don't get it. Will you explain it to me? Yeah, there's definitely a level of managing up in here that I think is worth that is worth exploring, right? Because like, um, I feel like my job is not to be an efficient conduit from top to bottom. I'm supposed to be a very inefficient conduit, right? Like, I should have a ton of friction on my on my. Interesting. Uh, my own. <laughs> yeah, right, right. There should be a lot I of. I like this of friction. way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, so you know, I am a very inefficient conductor, and anytime that there's like a, a big spike in uh, in wattage or amperage or whatever it is, I immediately turn back around and like want to have that conversation. You know, um, the one I can think of for the post is not one where I immediately disagreed. It's one where I sort of agreed at first and then disagreed on how we were going to implement it. So oh, that's even my harder. boss, the CTO, uh, basically when he hired me, he said, our number one, the number one thing that we want you to do is performance. Um, it's nice that we have an election results page, but it takes 15 seconds for those pages to render. They don't work well on old phones. Your job is to make this thing load in under a minute or under a, uh, sorry, under a second. Um, under a minute. We could hit under a minute. We could definitely hit under a minute. Always a good milestone, especially yeah, with applications. You want a sandbag. You want a sandbag a little. You know, leave yourself some room. Um, so he gives us this this ultimatum that's basically you need the page to render in under a second, which basically means instantly. You know, because like let's be honest, that's that's a, and it's almost a ludicrous performance target. Um, so. 
I had this conversation with him that was like, all right, if we're going to do this, we are going to accept some trade-offs, right? Because everything comes with a trade-off. So you don't get to come to me and say, hey, we don't have this pile of NASCAR-like features, uh, you know, uh, festooned on our election pages like everybody else has. Because when when you say that, I'm going to point to those pages and be like, well, that page loads in 15 seconds. So if you want all those features, then you have to trade off this, this, this one that you've asked for. And you said this is the most important thing. I just want to be clear. I'm allowed to like cut features in order to hit this. And he says, yes. So um, that was like the initial level of friction is like essentially like setting the stage for like what, why is this important and what is it important for? Um, And we, you know, we're in possession of some research that says when the faster our pages load, the more likely people are to report that they enjoyed their experience with us and the more likely they are to become subscribers. So when I'm shaving milliseconds off of page load time, I'm, I'm getting more people to subscribe to the Washington Post. That makes me feel better about my life and about democracy. So uh, this is like a, this is, this is a tangible, right? So I can go back to my team now and I can say, all right, here's the edict. The edict is we got to load this quickly, but here's why we're doing it. And then we get to have a conversation about why we've chosen to do it this way. And then we get to find like really creative solutions to this problem. Um, The answer is, by the way, render everything on the server side. (laughs) Do literally nothing on the client. We have built 1993's internet and it's fantastic. Good job. We we server side render a whole bunch of SVG and push it out to people's phones and it works like a champ. It renders in 400 milliseconds. I get to wipe my hands and and go home and everything is fine. Wow. Congratulations. (laughs) I guess. Oh, so move, moving, oh, we have to sort of move towards the uh, to the end. Oh, here, that's right. I want to ask right. you, I want to ask you about um, your hobbies outside of work. Oh yeah, you, I'm a what cook. What do you do when you're not? You're a cook. Ah. I cook like crazy. This is like the one I I can't get enough of it. Um, I just we just did Thanksgiving this uh you know this last mm-hmm. week and uh, we had 25 people over to the house. Oh. Uh, me and a buddy did three turkeys. Um, I, I don't I don't even know how to cook mashed potatoes for fewer than 30. <laughs> that problem too yeah yeah <laughs> it's like there's leftover. first you start with six sticks of butter yeah, yes that's right that's right well and what kinds of i mean are you generally cooking thanksgiving food or what is there a specific genre of food you're focused on oh, or do you no i like i just like cooking all kinds of different things i mean this is we'll go through like yearly phases um so i, I live in washington dc one great thing about dc is that it has a strong korean community mm. so there's uh, a lot of good korean grocery stores nearby so we did a year where I just cooked a ton of Korean food and it was really wonderful. Um, they have like wonderful mm-hmm. thick stews. Um, it's not that far. Yeah, I grew up in South Georgia. Noodles. Yes. I grew up in oh. South Georgia. So it's basically chicken and dumplings, but with beef and rice, you know, uh, yeah, beef yeah. and like rice cakes. Uh, it's fabulous. The uh, yes. Oh my God. I don't even so know good. how to say that, but it's just so had yeah. some this weekend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Literally just lucky. made some this weekend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's like, that's what I enjoy. I enjoy like uh, figuring out like how, um, how various places and people like express themselves through food. Um, mm-hmm. I like to I like to travel and, and like eat in the places we go to. Um, yeah, it's good yeah, times. That's said, what I do for you fun. Said you bring food to work, right? Do you, oh, do you yeah. fatten up your team and <laughs> serve them? You know, <laughs> Just this week. Uh, actually, last week we had cookies. The week before that was pumpkin bread. The week before that was a cake of some variety. So yes, like um, wow. we got to... The one thing that we are really bad at, you know, if it's not remote work, it's definitely also like, you know, heart healthy, uh, <laughs> heart healthy uh, snacks at work, you know. I'm not going oh. to work to eat salad, okay? <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't win friends with salad. I've, I've heard this. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what the dressing is. If the dressing is chocolate cake, it's probably going to win. 
a little candied arugula on the top. That's right. right. Well, so we got to wrap up here for time's sake, but uh, Jeremy, if people want to know more, where can people find you on the internet? Sure. I'm at Jeremy Bowers on Twitter. Oh, okay. okay. Pretty easy, and we will put that in show notes as well. So, oh, um, thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for being here, and uh, good luck preserving democracy and all that. Oh, please, <laughs> yes. Uh, as long as we can make it through the spring, I think we'll be all right. Take Fingers crossed. Everyone, take time <laughs> off now. <laughs> okay, we'll thank talk you. to you later. Thank you all.